a Podcast One production. Welcome to The Alternative Truth, a series where we debunk the myths and spin on health and wellbeing. Hi, my name's Mailing Dory, a lifestyle curious medical doctor, public health expert, and strategist. One thing I've learned is that what we think is right when it comes to health often isn't. So I've set out to talk with some of the world's most esteemed medical experts and frontline wellbeing innovators to find out the alternative truth. In this episode, we explore the Oso de Rigueur social movement body positivity. It's exploded in recent years. It's accumulated a heap of hashtags. I woke up like this, F your beauty standards, honour my curves, celebrate my size, beautiful at any size. Still, the hard reality is that most of us, well, most of us in the developed world, for all that good chat, neither our headspace or our body stats are in shape. A large proportion of us carry risk factors or chronic disease or experience some serious mental anguish. So how helpful is it to message positivity when our health reality is, well, negative? Does this take us towards or away from the solution? Our first guest, Jess Curl, is a trainer, functional diagnostic nutritionist, and founder of Project Better, a Collingwood-based fitness studio. Growing up in middle America, Jess witnessed firsthand the impact of lifestyles out of balance, which in part inspired her to become a strength and conditioning coach. In this role, Jess has seen firsthand the troubling relationships we have with our bodies. She struggled with injury herself and found her way back to health. Through a combination of movement correction, testing, coaching, and tough love, Jess has transformed a swathe of clients to achieve optimal health and well-being. We were then joined by our second guest, Amelia Trinick, clinical and national team leader for the Butterfly Foundation, an organisation dedicated to helping people with eating disorders and negative body image. So we're we're here to really unpack this topic of body positivity. And for for all of you who are, I guess, in social media, you'll know that this is a bit of a phenomenon which is sort of kicked up this year with Lizzo coming out being loud and large and out there in our face. Jess, from your professional perspective, what's your view of what's happening? Well, I think first you have to take a step back and like define what uh, like what is healthy, right? So you when you look at overweight or obese obesity in today's world is like defined by the World Health Organization and the CDC and things like that as being having a BMI of thirty or more. So BMI is your body mass index. Um, it can be defined by your weight circumference as well or your stomach circumference as well. But um, you know they've shown now that about 1.9 million plus people are overweight and 650 million people are obese. So we've got to be billions. Billions. 1.9 billion. billion. Yeah. Did I say that? Billion? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Um, but like if when you look at any of the studies and and as like, not that I love the World Health Organization or, or the CDC, but they, they say comparatively um, to like a healthy weight person, you have all cause mortality higher risk, you die 14 years younger, you have coronary artery issues, joint issues, you're more likely to have depression, cancer, um, gallbladder, liver, stroke, all these things. 
right? And so just looking at it from like that perspective, when you look at people like Lizzo or this Tess Holiday chick we're speaking about, you know, it's it's um, very hard to see people like that who are promoting their size as healthy because it's it's not. Like I don't I don't believe that you can be three hundred plus pounds and be healthy. You can be three hundred plus pounds and be a great person and a great human and a great mother and a great friend, but I don't think that's healthy. You can be happy. And I think that's that's where it comes into like all of Lizzo's music, for example, is very, you know, love yourself and and you know pro um, being happy with who you are and where you're at and what sh- what you are doing in your life, and that's great. But I don't think that covers um, all the aspects of health. Um, you and I have spoken before about how I believe there's four to five main pillars of health. So you've got your mentality, you've got your movement, you've got your nutrition, so what you put in your body, your sleep, and then your connection with yourself in the world. So I think these um, fat liberationists is what they're calling themselves. I love that they love themselves. I think that's great. But I think if you are you know, not taking the boxes of moving enough or putting the right um, nutrition into your body, getting the right sleep, having the right connection with people, you know, I don't think they're ticking all the boxes of health. So I think it's it's um, a dangerous thing for them on these major platforms to be promoting that you can be healthy at any size when it's just really not true. I, I'm going to just ask you to dive a bit deeper <laughs> into that. I mean, that was a great setup, by the way, because, and, and I want to caveat this by saying that you've created a space down at Project Better, which is very welcoming to everyone. Like, it doesn't matter where your starting point is, but I guess what we're trying to understand here today is is this whole body positivity sort of poisonous at some point? Um, We've got the definitions of health, but what would you say, like Lizzo has a lot of friends and fans. What Mm. would you say to a room full of people who are kind of on Team Lizzo? Um, Because as you pointed out, more people are overweight or obese than not. Mm. It's actually now normal. Look, I, I mean, I'm Team Lizzo. I love Lizzo. I love her music. I love what she's about. I love that she's, uh, you know, what she promotes. But I, I wish, you know, she has such a huge platform that she could easily, you know, um, promote herself in a more positive uh, health and wellness spectrum, right? Like you can, you can be happy with where you're at, but still want to get better. It's okay to want to get better. It's okay to want to change yourself. It's okay to want to work on yourself, but still love yourself. Do you know what I mean? I think that's where the issue comes in is, Yes, love yourself, worry up. But if you want to be a bit fitter or stronger or skinnier or healthier or whatever, like that's totally okay. And I think, um, like, one of the issues with with people like um, like Lizzo, who has this platform where she's created, like, her size is part of her image, right? And so I think the dangerous thing with um, something like that is. Let's say, for example, Lizzo goes to the doctor and she gets diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, right? Is she going to be someone? Probably is already. Well, it's very possible. But let's say, for example, if she is she going to be someone who comes out to her fans and says, okay, it pulls back, you know, because it's kind of her identity now. And it's the thing is, people, when people start using that as their identity, it becomes, I am this, I am that. And, and then when people start to uh, uh, not, well, yeah, kind of like say that's not, the best thing you get attached to it and it feels like you're being attacked, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, 
it could be a dangerous thing for her to get a diagnosis like that and then either A, not do anything about it because she doesn't want to believe it, and it could be a detriment to her fans or her um, her social media uh, presence, um, or to do something about it but then not talk about it because then that's an issue too, right? So I think it's a it's a very dangerous slope when you start to identify and be like your brand is this big and large love yourself and it's okay thing. Something's happened in healthcare where I guess we're being encouraged to separate out terms like obesity from the person. So instead of saying that person is obese, we say that person or Susie is a person with obesity or who is currently suffering from diabetes or who's currently experiencing hypertension. Do you think that maybe we need to change the languaging, like person first, obesity or overweight second? Would that change it? Well, I think it's always the person first because I think at the end of the day, um, it's always got to be human first. I think um, from the research I did, a lot of the issues come around um, with um, being being overweight and being obese is a problem. And it is, but it's not a problem with the person. It's a problem with um, maybe the mentality behind it. You know, most people don't go, oh, I want to I be fat. I want to be overweight. I want to not feel good. It's, you know, I have... Um, social anxiety or I have depression or, you know, it's underlying something. So I think um, changing the language and keeping it person first, issue, not issue, but uh, something second, then it's, uh, it's a bit better because I think we lose that human connection. At the end of the day, like everyone's still human. I think you still need to treat people like a human. Um, and I guess I should caveat, like I don't think with, I know we're talking about fat liberationists, but I don't think you know. I don't think you should, people should be treated poorly because they are overweight or overweight or obese. I just think it needs to be factual that that is a an issue that we need to address with people. Yeah. Do you feel that the look at me? I'm overweight and obese, and sort of dancing around in my bathers. Is do you think that almost makes it permissive? Sure. Yeah. Because I guess it's probably their way of dealing with it and making it be okay and and pretending to not care, right? When I think people really, they probably really do. In your experience as a trainer, I mean, I have two questions on this. (laughs) You know, when you get in the room one-on-one, getting people on the scale, they're sort of having their vulnerable moment with you. Do you think that people can be truly okay with being like obese? We're not talking about, you know, normal muffin top. We're talking about people carrying serious amounts of extra weight? I really don't think so because it really detriments your quality of life. It can't be comfortable to not be able to get off the couch very well or to not fit in a, a seat or to not, you know, fit in the seat. But like that truly cannot be, that truly cannot be a good time. Do you know what I mean? So even people, I've never met someone who's even slightly overweight that isn't okay with it, right? So everyone... And I think it's okay. This is going to sound really bad, but I think it's okay to kind of hate yourself a little bit. You know, like it's kind mm-hmm. of okay to have things that you're not. I, I got things I want to. Yeah, like I got things I want to work on, and and just like everything in life, you need the dark with the light. You know, you need a bit of okay, like you know, we all got stuff we don't like about ourselves, and that's cool. But it doesn't ruin my day. It doesn't make me who I am. It doesn't make me any less of a person. It just is what it is, and I'm going to do what I can to help better it. <laughs> Have you ever heard of this term? And I don't know whether this is technically spiritual bypassing, but <laughs> I kind of I wonder somewhat whether this idea that no, I'm fat and happy and I still move, that's fine. 
is that a form of like emotionally bypassing the real issue? Oh, yeah, totally. Well, I, I think it's come down to self-love and probably worthiness. You know, so if someone someone is a really, truly obese and, and saying they have all this self-love and really love themselves, I just don't believe it's true because I think in order to really, you know, if you really love yourself and have enough worth for yourself, you're going to put good foods and good nutrition and good water and you're going to move enough and, you know, do all these things that actually make you feel good. Like it can't, it can't make you feel good to, you know, to not be able to get out of bed or to not be able to run a kilometer or do a burpee or, you know, those really minimal measures of health. And um, I just think that, like, you know, it takes time to become overweight and obese too, right? So it has to, it's going to be a long thing. It's not like one day you just wake up and you've put on a couple hundred pounds. It's this long process. And with most clients and people that I see personally is there's, Uh, a trigger of some sort. So like a divorce or um, like something in their past that's happened and it triggers some sort of um, like maybe an eating issue where they they eat for comfort or they, you know, they just self-isolate for safety or whatever it is. But I I always think it's a either like going back to our base needs of like safety and security and things like that. In survival, I think that's what it comes back to with most people, whether they want to admit it or know it. um, That's what I think it is. So I'm going to get into the headspace <laughs> of, you know, what I've confronted myself where people go, we, it's fine for you, Jess. Look at you. Yeah, yeah, sure. You, I, my metabolism is really slow and I've had this for years and genetically I'm like this. I can't. What do you say? <laughs> oh, man. Um, that's you tough. Know the, you, know the, you know the conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it is, it's different for everyone because it obviously depends on how well you know someone, how much they trust you and all of those things. And it's about, I mean, my job as a coach and uh, a human is to make people feel comfortable enough where we can start digging into the reasons why they don't feel um, like they can do it. And, and, and also to remind them, like, you can do hard things. Like, we're made to do hard things. We're, we don't want to do hard things. Like, life is so easy now. You get, you know, self-air conditioning and hating and clothes, and we don't got to, like, fend for our food. And now we're so used to um, all of that being at our fingertips. We're kind of we're kind of weenies, right? So um, it's gently coaxing of that. I don't know if I'd say that exactly to client, but it's gently coaxing of, you know, like, I'm here to support you. Like, this is a big journey. Like, we can do this together. And then slowly introducing people and, and slowly getting out of that comfort zone because you can't shove people. So like, most people won't, will leave and not come back. Um, but I think you've got to remind people, like, it's it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to find things hard and difficult and, you know, we grow in stress. So, um, yeah, that's, I think that's, that's kind of where it's, but it's always from a place of love with me. (laughs) Do you think something, what, I mean, if you could wave a magic wand and kind of get out there and 60, was it 66, 67% of people are overweight or obese? Mm -hmm, Two thirds. If you could, I guess, get to everyone out there who is in that category, which is most of us, what would you say? Like, what 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 can be done today to kind of shift that needle? Because it's a lot. Of, it's more people than will fit in your gym. Oh, there's so many things. Um, look, I would just say start with the basics, right? So going back to those pillars, like if you put the right foods in, don't eat too much, eat three square meals, eat lots of vegetables, drink lots of water, get eight hours of sleep, move daily, find something that makes you sweat. Like, if most people did that, they would not. We would not have this epidemic of diabetes and obesity that we have now. It's um, because that's what goes back to, you know, we eat too much food. 
We eat the wrong foods. We're not sleeping because we're too stressed. And um, we don't move enough. We sit all day long when we're, we're actually made to move. And now it's coming back to bite us, <laughs> unfortunately. So I'm just wondering, there's going to be people out there that say to you, I do those things, Jess. This is like that person back again. <laughs> I sleep. I've, I just eat vegetables. Do you think that the body is absolute truth? Do you think that if their body is, you know, carrying an extra 50 kilos, that that is, um, I guess there's a mismatch between perception and reality? Is it possible to do all the good things and still be overweight or obese? Possibly, yes. But I think those are the outliers. I think, um, I think kind of the hidden forgotten one is sleep and stress. Because everyone, everyone knows that you can, um, you know, you can have caffeine to get you up and awake throughout the day. You can take sleeping medications to help you sleep. But it's, it's one of the most, um, like, anabolic times that you are uh, you doing today. You don't explain anabolic. Uh, anabolic. So anabolic is where your, um, your body is basically building you back up. So it's the only time throughout your day, essentially, that your body is not breaking you back down anymore. And it is turning over tissue, consolidating memories, um, doing all these beautiful things that you need. But if you are sedating yourself, so taking sleep aids, um, you're not probably getting into the right sleep if you're not getting at least seven to eight hours, depending on who you are. Um, you're definitely not going to be going through those sleep stages. And then, um, you know, you're missing out on that beautiful window of recovery as just, just as a human, right? So they think they, like, professional athletes sleep, like, 10 to 12 hours. So us humans should be at least sleeping. Yeah, like, Roger Federer sleeps 12 hours what? every night. Isn't How? that crazy? He's amazing. Um, and then I think the other one is stress. Like, we we have so much in the accumulation, death by a thousand cuts. So, um, so let's say you're not eating very well, then you're not sleeping well, then you're drinking alcohol, and then you're going to a job that's in the city, and then— you're under normal lights and you're inside all day and you're not moving and it's like boom, 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 right? And it's, instead of having your cup full, you're draining yourself. So then you go home because you're tired, you watch TV, you pour a glass of wine instead of maybe, you know, going for a walk with the dogs outside and playing with the kids and doing these restorative and like cup feeling activities. You're just kind of like rounding yourself down and down and down. Does that make sense? It does make a lot of sense. And I guess in this brief conversation, I feel like we've thrown down two really big gauntlets. The first one, um, and Jess, correct me if I'm wrong, you're just saying point blank, period, you cannot be fully healthy, 360 degrees healthy, and part of the, you know, body positivity movement which says you can't, you know, it doesn't matter what you look like. You're saying it does. You are not the epitome of health if you are um, obese. Definitely not. If this was live radio, I'm sure the phone line oh. would light up. <laughs> so that's the first throwdown. And the second one is, hand on heart, Jess is saying that she can help you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can, <laughs> but the thing is, I can give you all the tools, but you've got to implement it, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's my life purpose is to um, help change people's lives. So if you want the knowledge and the education, the tools, I'm your girl. Well, yeah. <laughs> Jess, thank you so much for coming in. The message is, Tough love, toughen up, (laughs) but we're here for you. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thanks. Jess Curl says it like it is. Having walked the path of change, what struck me about her lens is the alchemy of real talk, accountability, and care. Beating around the bush, it would seem, is just delaying progress. Reflecting on what Jess had to say, I'm left asking... Are we entering an era of perverse levels of political correctness? What's the difference between pretending we feel good 
and actually feeling good. Also, are we creating learned helplessness that reinforces negative social norms? But first, let's hear from Amelia Trinick. Amelia is a clinician at the Butterfly Foundation, where she leads the National Helpline supporting people experiencing disordered eating, eating disorders, and body image issues. Her experience spans developing in-school programs to promote positive body esteem and self-worth, empowering health professionals and educators to support at-risk populations, and a range of other things. She's a woman on a mission, passionate about inclusion and diversity, and a world in which we can all feel good over the long haul. I wanted to start by, I guess, putting a question to you, which is, what has made you so passionate about the topic about body image and self-esteem? And tell us a bit about your journey to your current role at the Butterfly Foundation. Look, as a, as a um, clinician at the Butterfly Foundation, particularly looking after the, the health and there for eating disorders, something that, that I've been taught over this role um, is that it's very, very rare to find somebody moving through the world who hasn't been made to feel awful about their physical appearance, about the way that they look. I think, you know, even in my experience working in high schools, going out and, and, and working with young people, um, it's just so clear that from such a young age, value is placed so heavily on our appearance and what we look like. Um, and we can see, you know, particularly in my, my work with, with Butterfly, sort of the, the tail end of that and the more acute end of that um, being a really, really high risk factor in people developing some really serious mental illnesses. And so I guess my passion really comes from being able to work to empower people to feel confident um, in, in, in themselves and in their bodies and, and not even necessarily seeing their bodies as the most important thing about themselves, um, but being able to, to engage in conversations that highlight other aspects of, of individuals as well. So I suppose that's, that's where my passion really lies. I guess for people listening in, one of the things that would be interesting to understand, because we do all have our own experience about our, I guess, negative feelings about our body, but how epidemic is this issue? Can you tell us a bit about the extent of this problem as you as you view it, whether that's in Australia or globally? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, what we do know um, is that a focus, um, a kind of maladaptive negative focus um, on body image um, particularly in young people, but not exclusively, um, is becoming increasingly um, one of the most important issues that, that people are focusing on. So we're finding year after year, study after study, um, with the introduction of, you know, much more, say, image-based social media, for example, um, that people's focus on this is, um, is just becoming more and more evident. And I suppose that the, the impact of that means that people are, not engaging in um, in things like you know getting medical support for themselves, they're not engaging in social support. They're having negative mental health outcomes um, because the focus is so heavily on the body um, and the physical appearance of the body. We know that it does affect different dem- demographics um, a little bit differently. So although historically we kind of understand that negative body image is something that had predominantly sort of affected um, or certainly been researched in in young girls. We know that negative body image um, and a decrease of, of self-worth um, based on that can affect people from all demographics, um, from all genders, all sexualities, all nationalities and, and all appearances. So it is becoming um, an increasingly worrying, worrying issue. Why do you think that is? I mean, you've pointed out two big trends, one being that we're all feeling worse and then now that I guess men are included in this this bucket of um, negative body image. What's happening in the world 
from yeah. the perspective of yeah, clinicians. Absolutely. You know, men, women, um, you know, pe- people of all genders, as I said, of all sort of um, backgrounds and experiences uh, are focusing on this a lot more. And, um, you know, as I mentioned, certainly um, image-based social media uh, is, is is a massive part of that. It's not necessarily the cause or something that, uh, you know, that is um, integral to, to somebody experiencing that. There, there absolutely has to be a number of different factors. But the idea of comparing, um, so kind of moving through the world, comparing yourself physically to somebody else um, is something that is just so present for people nowadays um, because it's there all the time. So that's a massive part of it. I mean, I guess the other side of that is, is um is that there are a lot of companies that are profiting off people having a negative self-worth. You know, something that that I've heard recently is the idea that, you know, imagine if we stopped worrying about what we looked like, Uh, you know, imagine how many companies would would go under if if that wasn't a a factor um, in the way that that, um, they advertise. Again, it's not the sole cause, but it's certainly something something that is a massive factor um, in certainly the, the increase of focus on on the physical self as sort of the most important way to, um, or currency to sort of get through the world. That's very interesting because at the same time, I guess if we draw out the public health piece, we also have, certainly in the West, epidemic levels of chronic disease, people that are perhaps overweight, inactive, with other mental health um, challenges on their hands. And there's obviously some, there must be some kind of link between all of those factors because they're all trending up. Negative body image, overweight, obesity, um, mental illness, I guess, which could be conflated with um, body image. Do you think that there's a lot of, I mean, we'll, or I, let me put the question a, d- a different way. What do you understand about the relationship between those things and how we might shift it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. Certainly, um you know, examples of, of negative mental health, uh, you know, abroad and sweeping, as you said, not just in Australia, but but internationally as well. And I suppose one way that, that we can look at it is, um, is uh, I suppose, kind of more, more positive twist is the understanding that we're um, actually recognising things a little bit um, a little bit earlier. We're recognising things like mental mental health issues, encouraging people to reach out for support, um, recognising that mental health issues affect people from, you know, varying demographics and the sort of broadening up that conversation, uh, that conversation quite a, a lot as well. Yeah, I suppose that, that you know, you mentioned a, an interesting factor there, which is looking at physical health and then looking at mental health. And I think we often do separate them um, quite often. Um, and I think something like, say, a body positive movement can really look at really look at being able to improve holistic health for somebody without necessarily separating them them out. I'm going to throw you a curved one because there are people out there that would say, okay, right, it's all very well to be sort of large in a size 24 and put the hashtags on and say, look, I feel fantastic. But what if the underlying reality is that that size 24 body is also associated with type 2 diabetes, high cholesterol, um, and a range of other downstream problems? Is that body positivity piece killing off the, um, you know, the uncomfortable feeling that you need to get going and change? Sure, sure. That that messaging there, that kind of message of, of encouragement or sort yeah. of being inspired it, to, to, to do something or act. Yeah, that, I think that's a really fascinating question. I think it's a question that um, that we are often asked, you know, what does a 
body positive movement do um, for somebody who, you know, may be experiencing health concerns associated with weight? And I suppose one of the, the, the best ways or the easiest ways to be able to look at it is understanding, um, and certainly in, in Australia, when we look at the word, say, obesity, what it really is defined as is, is a risk factor that is associated with chronic illnesses, um, but obesity in and of itself is not a disease or, or a disorder. And so, you know, often what happens is that when somebody starts to engage in positive behaviour that um, that uh, removes that risk or, or makes that risk smaller, um, or say, you know, developing or, or maintaining kind of a chronic illness, what happens is that person may lose weight and that weight loss is seen um, and is sort of given a lot of praise to when really it's the engagement in the positive behaviour that has helped that person be able to, you know, lower their, their risk factors out there for a range of different, you know, illnesses or, or, or diseases. I think another part of that story is, this really overwhelming assumption, I think, that can happen, and it feels like it makes a lot of sense, where we want to be able to look at someone and look at someone's physical body and make a call on how healthy that person is or not. Um, and I think that's when we start to get into really, really dangerous territory when we look at someone and make an assumption about, about their health. And that goes not only for bigger bodies but for smaller bodies as well, bodies of all different shapes and sizes. Yeah, so, so I suppose that covers that a little bit. Do you think that as a society we perhaps give more flack to the bigger bodies as opposed to the smaller bodies? I mean, as you were speaking, I'm thinking about, I guess, what's held up as aspirational, whether it's Instagram or the runway, television, when you come yeah. face-to-face with um, these aspirational bodies, they're often, they're often pretty small. Yeah, yeah, and often they do. Um, often they do sort of fit into a very, a very narrow understanding of um, what is seen as healthy as well. You know, we we've seen healthy bodies kind of plastered as as one particular body type, and we know that's just not reality. You know, in, in fact, when we look at people generally, certainly in Australia, that kind of fit in with you know within a normal weight category, um, and I say that in in, in quotations, um, we we find that around thirty percent of them don't get you know, what is recommended as enough exercise. So there's this kind of false sense of security that if you fit within a particular type of body that, that you are like absolutely, you know, 100% healthy. Um, but it is interesting that you mentioned that there's kind of more flack on pe- people in bigger bodies. And I think that that's definitely the case, particularly, uh, particularly because we often look and make massive assumptions about people that are in bigger bodies in terms of their weight, but as soon as somebody fits within an underweight category or even a really, um, a really muscly, say, body type, we don't tend to make those sweeping assumptions. In fact, more often than not, it's praised as a moral good for somebody to be within a lower weight. So as much as we try, you know, not to make assumptions about people in, in a lower weight or, 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 you know, particularly muscly or, or built body, we're really wanting to move towards a world where we don't make assumptions about people who are in bigger bodies as well. Um, because we know, I mean, we, we, we know, uh, you know, that there are athletes, you know, world-class athletes that, that fit within bigger bodies. And, uh, you know, although that's not the, the, the kind of goal and sort of be-all and end-all of, of being in a bigger body, we have to recognise that that um, sweeping statement doesn't help anybody. Do yeah. you think, just, just wanting to draw out a little bit more about that muscled or athletic body that, we mm-hmm. all, I mean, you, you must be under a rock if you haven't seen um, Fitzbo on Instagram. But yeah. do, you, do you know much or does the Butterfly Foundation, I guess, serve that community of people? And what is their relationship 
to body image, given that on the surface, they look pretty good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but butterfly does, um, and we do know um, we do know a little bit about it. You know, we, we always would encourage somebody to engage in supports with with practitioners that kind of specialize in that area if they are experiencing, you know, negative feelings or, or ne- negative side effects. But um, I suppose, uh, I guess, a really important message um, around that is is that the same sort of behaviors that may be seen as, uh, you know, as really good and morally, you know, re- really, really important behaviours, you know, going to the gym all the time or, you know, eating only certain, you know, particular types of food or very narrow food groups, often they can become very maladaptive, very obsessive, um, and it can lead to severe mental health issues. And we often kind of notice that marker change a little bit if we would say to somebody, you know, what if you couldn't go to the gym on that day? What if you couldn't follow your routine? Routine? What if that food that you, you know, that you would, you know, certain types of food that you would only eat wasn't available? How much distress would that put you in? Um, and if that puts put someone into a really high distress, we see that as, um, as uh, you know, a behaviour that isn't serving somebody um, anymore and we would encourage them to get support. How common is that? Look, it is, um, again, it's an increasingly common issue. Um, when we move more into, this, this is quite a fascinating area, but when we move more into um, particularly bodies that are relying on something like steroid use, actually the, the, the number one in Australia, the number one reason that people are um, swapping uh, needles um, for injection use is, is the, the number one increasing reason is steroid usage, um, which is just wild. Like that's just huge nowadays. So it's becoming, again, an increasingly worrying, worrying issue. Um, that's remarkable. <laughs> Astonishing. Like what, at the risk of revealing my ignorance on this, what drives people to use steroids? And, you know, what do we know about that increasing use? Is it external pressure? Is it social norms? Is it anti-aging? Is it, you know, competitive workforce? Yeah, look, I am. I think again, you know, image uh, image based um, social media is probably a massive part of that as well. Um, you know, and that I think really speaks to the idea that body image issues are not exclusively affecting women the way that um, you know it may have. You know, t- twenty years ago, we know that um, particularly within male populations, that um, that a real drive to look have that physical appearance of strength because physical appearance of strength or fitness or thinness is seen, uh, I guess we associate that with what a good person is. There there have been studies done um, with with young people uh, looking at particular body types and just being given um, like a silhouette of a body to look at. And they've been asked to say, you know, what, who is the good person? Who is the bad person? Um, And from a young age, um, those who don't fit in, you know, within that kind of thin or muscly stereotype, are overwhelmingly seen as as bad, you know, a bad person or a villain, even for somebody who's really, really young. Yeah. Do you ever, um, I guess, get to work with people in this predicament and see them rehabilitate from that? And what does it take? I would imagine that some of these people come to you with a sense that something's not not right. Um, yeah, look, it's probably not our 
primary form of work. Again, um, in terms of treatment, I guess we're sort of a, a, a much more um, preliminary step that some people might take. Um, but yes, I mean, it's absolutely possible for, for people to get support around that. Um, and, and it is a very long, often quite difficult journey that includes not just physical um, support, um, of course, you know, support from, from, um, from a doctor, preferably with specialty in the area, but also mental health support as well. So Amelia, I guess just sort of re- reflecting back on what we've talked about, if there was one message that you wanted to get out to people around body positivity and its its role, what would that be? Um, look, I think if there was one kind of core message, it would be the idea that to encourage, no matter no matter who uh, you know what what profession you might be working in or how you might be engaging people who are living within bigger bodies, that what we would encourage is a, a more balanced and mindful and intuitive behavior, behavioral pattern for that person around food um, and around exercise um, without having weight loss as a focus and, uh, and noticing that those health markers for somebody, no matter what weight that they sit at, if they're engaging that balance and, and intuitive um, sort of eating and, and, and exercise behavior, um, that that is going to be a positive thing because we know that negative messaging, um, that shame um, doesn't work for people. You know, we see it over and over and over again that when people engage in, say, restrictive dieting, that after a few years that person is um, is absolutely, you know, you know, hell-bent on sort of, you know, being the weight that they were at the very beginning. Um, not only that, but we see... Um, we see that their health markers, you know, go back to the way that they were at the beginning. It's not sustainable. Um, whereas when we look at practitioners that work with people um, with body positivity as a focus, um, we actually see studies actually show that the maintenance of things like metabolic fitness, for example, continue, um, you know, longer than five years after that person receives treatment. And it's it's quite it's quite clear when you start to look at the, the the research around it. If we're actually really focusing on on health, um, which I think a lot of people engaged in this conversation are, we need to move away from the idea that weight loss has to be the key um, because it's not going to be encouraging for for anybody. For a period of time, it might be. You know, that's why shame. You know, commercials focused on weight loss and, and using shame. They may work for a period of time, absolutely. They, they might encourage someone to go and, you know, quickly join a gym or kind of crash diet or whatever, but it's not a sustainable option and it isn't, and not just a sustainable option, not for weight loss, but also for, for the other health markers that we're actually really wanting to, to focus on and encourage people in. Amelia, thank you so much for illuminating the topic. You've touched on a number of things, which I know people are going to want to dive into more um, if you want to hunt out Amelia. You'll find her at the Butterfly Foundation. But thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Listening to Amelia highlighted the chicken and egg nature of the predicament around body image. It poses the question, to what extent do we need to feel good about a less than ideal situation to make change? Disturbingly, as a society, we seem to be increasingly conflating a person's moral value and dignity with appearance. This is dangerous. Both guests seem to agree that feeling rubbish about one's body risks a roller coaster. For want of a better turn of phrase, a cycle of feast or famine. Here's what I did take away. 
we're moving in the wrong direction when it comes to physical and mental health. We can no longer look or arguably trust pervasive social norms for what's healthy. The conversation around body has become polarised at the extremes. On one hand, morbidly obese influences promoting messages of positivity, which are quite divorced from the physiological limits of good health. And on the other, people who present levels of buff that are mutually exclusive with healthy relationships to self or others. It would seem to me the place we need to look is inwards, to the barometer of our own well-being. But ultimately, we've got to change behaviour. Why? Well, having a body is the defining experience of being human, and it's essential we make that relationship a positive one. Thank you for joining us on The Alternative Truth. Alternative Truth is recorded in the studios of Podcast One Australia. Executive producer is Grant Tothill. The producer is Sarah Greenberg. Audio producer, Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au. Hi, I'm Mark Pesci, and I'm exploring the future of tech with my podcast, The Next Billion Seconds. Listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au, search The Next Billion Seconds podcast, or download the new Podcast One Australia app. Podcast One.